Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. The Old Testament book of Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy in chapter number 4. Deuteronomy and chapter number 4. We're continuing with our last few messages of the life and ministry of Moses We've been walking through, watching as Moses was born. We watched him as he was uh, raised. We walked with him in the backside of the desert. We saw him as God brought him back as the deliverer. We've witnessed over the last 40 years as Moses has been the leader of two and a half million complaining people through the wilderness. And now we come to Mount Nebo. Moses is overlooking the promised land from this mountain. Spend some time with God. And now, as they have one month before they cross, God says, Moses, I've been letting you do all the... I've been doing all the speaking. God has been telling Moses, say this. Moses, say this. Moses, tell him this. But now we come to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy is... The second telling of the law. That's what the book of Deuteronomy means. The second telling of the law. And what this is. Is that after 40 years. God says. Moses. You go to town. You preach the message now. I've given you all of this. You preach. And so it is. The book of Deuteronomy. Is the sermon. That Moses preached to all the children of Israel. As they are preparing to cross to the Red Sea. He goes back and gives them some history. He goes back and remember, reminds them about the law. And the things that they're supposed to remember. Some things that they're supposed to set up. But most importantly. That all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Moses keeps pointing the people up to God. And say look at him. Look at him. Look at him. And as we come to the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 4, we can see in the midst of this message that Moses is doing exactly that. He is pointing to the people and saying, look at God. Look at him. And as we pick it up, notice with me in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. And let's start in verse number 22. Deuteronomy chapter number 4, starting at verse number 22. The word of God says this, so the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 22. Now I must die in this land. I must not go over Jordan, but ye shall go over and possess that good land. Take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image, or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. And when thou shalt beget children and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves, and shall corrupt yourselves and make a graven image or in the likeness of anything or do shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger I call heaven 
and earth to witness against you this day, that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And there ye shall serve gods, the work of men's hand, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. And if thou shalt seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. And when thou art in tribulation and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou shalt turn to the Lord thy God and shall be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swore unto them. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 4? In fact, it is a name of God that we find in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. And notice with me in verse number 31, notice when it refers to God, a merciful God. A merciful God. And with the Lord's help, this is the name of God, El Rechem. El Rechem, for those of you who like spelling such things, it's E-L space R A. C-H-U-M, El-Rechem, which means the compassionate, merciful God. And that's exactly who God is. He is a compassionate, merciful God. Maybe we could say it this one, this way, the God who wants to forgive. The God who wants to forgive. El-Rechem, the compassionate, merciful God. The God who wants to forgive. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God, a real God, a loving God. We know that you're also a God of justice, a God who demands that we worship you in spirit and truth. But you're also a God who sees our frame, knows that we're nothing but dust. And you provided such compassion for us. Thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness. Thank you for the great compassion and your mercies, which are new every morning. Even though we don't deserve them, we thank you that you provided it for us. I'm asking that this would be used to draw us closer to you and whom you are. And in your name we pray. Amen. As we now approach this here, we can see Moses is now having the opportunity to preach. And the first thing I want to bring to your attention here is the compassionate God. The compassionate God. Now in the context that we find here is Moses is now preaching a message and warning the children of Israel about their temptation from moving away from God. He takes time to say, verse 23, Take heed unto yourself, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. He reminds them that, guess what? People have a tendency to stop worshiping God and follow after something else, to follow some other God that 
it gets to the place where they get used to God. They get prosperous. I no longer need God. And they walk away from him. But notice what it says about God. In fact, another name of God, which we're not covering in detail here. Verse number 24. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Now, normally people say, well, isn't jealousy a bad thing? Well, understand the context here. God is the true and living God, and there is no else. God's the one who created you. God's the one who loved you. God's the one who provided for you. Why in the world would you go worship and put your love and affection to someone else? And we can understand that there are times of jealousy where it is warranted. For example, I made a commitment to my wife. I love you. And that commitment meant I'm going to take care of her in the good times and the bad. For the richer and the poor. I made a commitment that I'm going to take care of her. But if I decide that in our marriage I'm going to put my love and affection that belongs to her, to someone else, wouldn't we understand her jealousy? Absolutely. Well, think about the God who created everything. The God who did everything for you. The God who sent his very son to die on the cross for you. And then in the midst of you saying, you know what, God? I don't want to hang out with you no more. I'd rather go spend time with this people. Well, this is why God's a jealous God. He's done everything for you. Who gave, he gave you life. He gave you salvation. He's provided for you. And you want to say something else is worthy of that praise, of that glory, of that honor. Yes, God is a jealous God because he deserves all of that love. And when we decide we're going to put that love and affection to someone else, wouldn't we expect consequences? Going back to the illustration of my wife. If I decide that I'm going to put my love and affection to someone else other than my wife, shouldn't I expect consequences? Shouldn't I expect some fire from her? I should, shouldn't I? There's going to be consequences. Well, there's going to be consequences when we put the love and affection that belong to God to someone else. God is a jealous God. He's a God who not only desires all worship, he's deserving of all worship. And so here it's giving the reminder here that they should stay close to God. But if you don't, let me tell you, you're in a bad position. 25, when thou shalt beget children and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land and shall corrupt yourselves and make a graven image or the likeness of anything or shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger. That word provoke carries the picture of taking a stick and putting it into a cage, uh, an animal that's in a cage. Poke, 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 poke. Well, after a while, isn't that animal going to want to respond back? Absolutely. You can only provoke it so much before even the most tamest of creatures will respond back. And here are these people, and by the way, this happened. We could go back through history. What was the problem of the Hebrew people? They kept worshiping other gods. It was a common occurrence. They would get to the place you go through the book of Judges. What happens? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They were supposed to look at God for themselves and they went, ah, let's go serve Baal. Ah, you know, instead of asking God, by the way, let me pause here. Do you know why there is polytheism? Polytheism is the belief of more than one God. Poly is many. Theism is God. The belief in more than one God. 
Why would people believe in multi-gods rather than one God? Well, because they don't believe that God is big enough to handle everything. So you have to go to the specific God who covers that. So why did they go to Baal? Because they needed water for their crops. Baal was the thunder God, the God who would bring down rain. And so let's cover the God whose only job to bring the rain. And let's ask him to bring the rain. Why did people go to Ashtaroth or Ishtar? Why did they go to that goddess? Well, because we want to have a baby. And so we don't want to pray to Baal. Baal only takes care of the... the uh, the rain, we have to cover the God whose only job it is to cover babies. So please give us a baby, you fertility goddess. Please, we will worship you, Ishtar. Please give us the baby. And so what happened that the people did not believe that God was big enough to handle everything they went through. By the way, what is the common problem that we have today? Is people do not believe that God is big enough. And so they go to the thing that they will trust that could cover that specific thing. In the Old Testament, it was these false gods, Baal, Ishra. And they start going to these other gods for their specific needs because they do not believe that God is big enough. Is God big enough? Yes, he is. And when they kept going to Baal, Baal, I trust you to bring rain. And God says, I'm the one who controls rain. Ishtar, we need a baby, provide us a baby. And God says, I'm the one who created life. All that's doing is provoking God. When God is saying, I can take care of him, Baal's not even real. Wouldn't that make anyone angry? Absolutely. And so, verse 26, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land wherein you go over Jordan to possess it. And ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall be utterly destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whether the Lord shall lead you. And there you shall serve gods, the work of men's hand, wood and stone, which shall neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. By the way, this happened. The people of Israel failed to serve God himself, and they served other gods. You start by the kings that came up. You had Saul, who was a man after man's own heart. He looked like what man wanted, and he came and he failed. The second one was a king after God's own heart, King David. And King David was not without his... Uh, problems but he was a good repenter and he tried to stay right with God the next up was Solomon who was David's son and Solomon was the wisest man but in a lack of wisdom he started to marry multiple women and those women drew him away from the God of Israel and he began to serve other gods he even made other temples to other gods and so because of that God says I got to keep my word I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and he tore the kingdom in two Solomon's son Rehoboam was the next king and because of his unwise actions the kingdom was split into two you had two tribes of Judah and Benjamin that stayed in the south you had the other ten tribes led by Ephraim led to the north and you had Jeroboam who was the first king of the northern kingdom Rehoboam the first king of the southern kingdom the uh, northern kingdom had 18 kings 
Every single one of them were wicked. Every single one of them served other false gods and provoked God. And finally God said, I had enough. And in 722 BC, God had the Assyrian Empire come and wipe out the northern kingdom taking those people from their homes and transplanting them all throughout the Assyrian Empire. And God gave preachers to the southern kingdom that said, don't follow suit, serve me and serve me alone. The southern kingdom had 18 kings. Only five of them were godly who followed after God. Until finally God said, I had enough with this. We're done with this. And in 586 BC, God had the Hebrew people, the southern kingdom, taken away by the Babylonians and displaced all over the Babylonian empire. Now, for 70 years, the people were somewhere else, including Daniel, Ezekiel, (coughs) Mordecai. But they waited and they prayed and said, God, bring us back. And finally, in 536 BC, under Cyrus the Great, the first emperor of the Persian Empire, said, go home, Hebrew people. If you want to go home, you go home. I'll even give you money to go back. And only a few of them went back. But that was an answer to prayer that if they would turn to God, that God would hear them and bring them back. But unfortunately, They did not stay close to God. Even when God himself came among the people and walked among them, they rejected Jesus Christ, God's begotten son. And God said, fine, I'm done with this. And in 70 AD, under the Roman emperor Titus, they destroyed Jerusalem, displaced all the Hebrew people. And the Hebrew people are scattered to this day. You say, well, Israel is brought back in 1947. Yes, but do you know that there are more Hebrew people, Jewish people living in New York City than the entire country of Israel? That's what God said. He said right here in the Bible in verse number 27, And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And the Hebrew people are scattered. Moses gave them a warning and said, if you turn from God to other gods, if you serve other gods, if you refuse to serve the one true God, there are going to be consequences for that. There's going to be consequences for your action. But notice this. He doesn't leave them there. Aren't you glad he didn't say, you know what, you messed up. God's done with you. He's wiped his hands of you. He's done. But notice this promise starting at verse 29. But if thou from thence shalt seek the Lord thy God, and thou shalt find him, or thou shalt find him, if thou seek the Lord, or seek him with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and when thou art tribulation, and all those things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou shalt turn to the Lord thy God, and shalt be obedient unto his voice, For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swore unto them. Here's the promise. That, you know, you failed God. And because of that, there's consequences in your life. That at any time, you go to God and say, God, I messed up. I was wrong. Please, Lord, I want to be back with you. You tell me what to do and I'll be close to you. God, who is a compassionate God, God, who is a merciful God, is willing to forgive them. 
It doesn't matter what they have done. It doesn't matter how far away they have gone. It doesn't matter how deep into sin they traveled. At any time, they could turn back to God and he will take them back. That is the God we're speaking about today. This is why we call him the compassionate, the merciful God. The God who's willing to forgive. The God who is plenteous of mercy. Even though we are worthy of judgment, God is a merciful God. You know, God has told the Hebrew people about his name before. Turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 34. Exodus in chapter number 34. God is a merciful, gracious, compassionate God. All we ha- they have to do is come back to him. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything if you are willing to come to him. What a great God. He's given the invitation. Unfortunately, not everyone takes that invitation. But God is willing to take them back. Notice with me in Exodus 34. And notice with me in verse number 4. Exodus 34 and verse 4. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went into Mount Sinai and the, as the Lord co- had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed... The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in goodness and in truth. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And will in no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the father upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. Here we could see the names of God. What is the names of God? Verse 6. The Lord. The Lord God. Merciful. God is, his name is merciful. His name is gracious. His name is long suffering. His name is abundant in goodness and truth. This is the God that we serve. He comes to us. He opens the door that we can come back at any time. But notice it also says, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving an iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will in no means clear the guilty. Here God has offered forgiveness for anyone and everyone. But there's a requirement. They must come to him. Some people believe in God's goodness and gracious and mercy to, the ne- to neglect of his righteousness and his holiness. God will not just blanketly forgive everyone. Now, this, listen to me clearly. God will not blanketly just forgive everyone. They must be willing to come to him. Meaning that if someone says, you know what, I know God's offering me forgiveness, but I'm not going to take it. Well, then they're not going to get it. They're going to have to suffer for their own consequences of sin. Does that make sense? God is offered forgiveness for everyone, but not everyone chooses to receive that forgiveness. It's a free gift that's offered. You don't have to do anything to get it. All you have to do is receive it. The Bible says that in the book of Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin we owe God a price. But 
the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have to receive the gift yourself. You have to be willing to accept the gift. God has offered it to you. He's paid for it. Let's take it like this. Christmas is around the corner. And let's imagine that someone loved you enough. Let's say that it's a child. And Christmas has come. And they know what the present is. They know that mom and dad have saved up and waited to give them this gift. They have had this gift purchased and they can't wait for the day. And so it comes day to open up the present. And they go, they give them the present. And the child says, you know what? I haven't been good this year. I, I've, been, I've been a mess. I don't feel like I'm worthy to open the gift. So you know what? I'm going to wait until I'm worthy to open the gift. Maybe next year sometime. Can, can I wait till then? Is that what the parents want? What do they want the kid to do? To take it and open it up. To go into it. No, I'm not worth You know what? I feel like I have to earn this gift. So let me mow your lawn and let me wash your windows. I'll wash your car. Let me do that for about three months and then I'll think that I'm worthy to open the gift. Are the parents giving you that gift because they think you're worthy? They're doing it because they love you. They gave you this gift. They just want you to take it open. In fact, if you tell them no, how would the parents feel? Don't you think they'd be slighted? Offended? You understand God has given the free gift to everyone to forgive them of every single one of their sins. He doesn't have to. He's doing it because he's merciful. Because he's compassionate. Because he loves you. He wants to give you forgiveness. But if you refuse to take it, it's not God's fault. It's your fault. The gift is there. You don't have to do anything but to receive it for yourself. Why would God offer this gift to us? I mean, isn't he within his rights to say, you messed up, you're done. He is within his rights. Why would God offer that? Well, notice with me, if you don't mind, a second thing. That we talked about the compassionate God, but I also want to bring to you your attention the God who knows we are flesh. The God who knows we are flesh. Look with me in Psalm 78. Psalm 78. We do want to trace this line of thinking. Why would God offer us sinners who hated God, who raised our fist at Him and said, God, leave me alone? Why would he offer us forgiveness? Us who decide to worship and put our love and affection to something other than God. And most of us have done that. Whether you trust it yourself or you put your hope and your faith in something else. Someone else who could not satisfy. Who could not do the job. Why would God offer us forgiveness when we have done so much to provoke him? To aggravate him? Why would he do that? Well the Bible gives the answer. Psalm 78. Psalm 78, and notice with me in Psalm 78, and notice with me starting at verse number 37, or 36. Psalm 78, in verse number 36. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. This is talking about the people to God, that they flattered him. Sure, you're a great God, but they lied to him. I'll do whatever I want anyways. Sure, God, I'll be here at Sunday. And they lied. Yes, God, I'll read my Bible. And they lied. Yes, God, I'll... And they lied. You just pick the thing. 
Verse 37. For their heart was not right with him. And that was a true statement. Neither were they steadfast in their covenant. But notice this on God's side. Verse 38. But he being full of compassion forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. Why? For he remembered that they were but flesh. A wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Why would God give us such compassion? Why would he give us such mercy? Because God didn't want to destroy us because he remembered we were nothing but flesh. <laughs> we're lousy old humans. We're sinners. We sin because we're sinners. That's what we are. We're sinners first. And because we're sinners, we sin. We're in flesh. We're here for just a moment. We're here and then we're gone. God could have easily wiped us out the first time we sinned. And that would be when we're babies and that would be all gone. But God gave us mercy. He loved us. By the way, why is it so important that he offered forgiveness to us lowly humans? The whole reason why he created man in the first place is because he wanted fellowship with him. He wanted man to spend time with God. And God understood we were but flesh. And so he decided to provide us a way that we could still fellowship with him even though we failed him. And he sent his son Jesus to die for us. To offer us forgiveness. He offers us forgiveness because he wants to spend time with us. He wants to be with us. He wants us to fellowship with him. He realizes who we are. That we're failures. That we messed up. There's none righteous. No, not one. None of you are perfect enough to approach God on your own. We've all failed God multiple times. And yet God still wants to be with you. And he remembered that. He remembered who we are. That we're lowly, filthy, rotten, nasty humans. And he still wants to be with us. He remembered our frame. Notice as he repeats this idea in Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Notice with me in verse number 8. Psalm 103 verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. This is a true statement. We deserve a lot more punishment than what we ever got. We deserve to be in hell right now. And it is of his mercies we are not consumed. It is of his mercies he has not rewarded us like we deserve. For as heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from him. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. For as for man, his days are as grass, as a flower in the field, so he flourisheth. For as the wind passeth over it, it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting 
to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. Aren't you glad that there's a God who understands who we are? In fact, here's another true statement. God is more forgiving of us than man is. We all know men who, who keep grudges a lot longer than God would. God is gracious. He understands who we are. He understands that we're failures. And yet he has given his mercy to us. All we have to do is receive the gift for ourselves. It doesn't matter what you've done, how far you've gone, how long you've done it. If you come to him, he's willing to forgive you of every single bit of it. Because he's that great of a God. That great of a God. Which brings me to one last truth that I want to cover here. That we started by describing this compassionate God. Now we said, why would God give us this compassion? Why would he give us this forgiveness? Because we have a God who knows that we're nothing but flesh. One last thing I want to show you is that the mercies of God lead to repentance. The mercies of God lead to repentance. Notice with me in Romans chapter number 2. Romans chapter number 2, and notice with me starting at verse 1. The book of Romans, towards the end of the Bible, or to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. And notice with me in verse 1. Romans chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whatsoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest dost the same things. We're all men, we all failed. Verse number two, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Now, in this chapter here, people focus on the idea of judging. You should not judge people. But in the context, what it's saying is that for some uppity person to say, listen here, look at how great I am. Look at that person over there. They are certainly a sinner. And next to them, I look pretty good. Well, if you look next to someone else, you could always find someone that's worse off than you. You could always find someone to compare yourself to that makes you look pretty good. You say, well, at least I'm in church today. I have a Bible. I showed up and no one else did. We can all find someone else to make us look good. Well, I'm not cheating on my husband. I'm not cheating on my wife. You know, you could, you could do all kinds of things. This is what the passage is talking about. But it's saying, guess what? You're a failure just like they are. You just have different sins. But you're a failure. You messed up. And by the way, if you examine it closely, you're doing the same thing they are. Just different types of sin. That's what it's talking about here. But the point of it is, is the people who think that they're righteous and pointing down to those other people are also not trusting in God. They think that I'm good enough. I don't need to go get forgiveness. There's nothing to forgive me of. Look at how great I am. That's what this passage is talking about. 
Because how do we know that? Verse number four, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and loving suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? What it's speaking about here is that we know I deserve to hell. The reason why I'm not in hell right now is because of God's mercy. Even before going to hell, I'm deserving of lightning strikes. I'm deserving of God just snuffing me out. I'm not deserving of any good thing. We in America have an entitled idea. Well, I deserve a good house. I deserve a good car. I deserve, you deserve nothing. And the more that you realize that you deserve nothing, the better off you're going to be. You say, why? Because of the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. When you recognize you don't deserve anything, you deserve to be wiped off the map. You deserve to be a smudge. You deserve to be the remnants of a lightning strike. And God has not done that to you. It should make you say, I'm thankful for God. And who much is forgiven over, much is required of them. When I realize what I truly deserve, You know, we as Christians, let me say even as a pastor, we can all get to the place where we're used to being forgiven. We can all be at the place where we, you know, I'm not that bad after all. Yes, you are. I learned something years ago when I was discipling someone. I was helping out in a church and I had a man who had, um, I was discipling and he would always do this. I'm just a horrible person and whatever and just a failure and all this other stuff. And you know what our normal reaction is as human? We like to comfort people. It's all right. You're not that bad. But he would always do that. I'm just horrible. Finally, my pastor heard him say that and said, listen here. You're a rotten, awful sinner who deserves hell and so am I. The man never said that anymore. Because you know what he was looking for? He was looking for someone to pat him on the back and say, it's all right, you're not that bad. When you know what he needed to hear? Yes, you are that bad and you're even worse. By the way, so am I. We need God. We as Christians who've been saved for a while, you need to be reminded you're not deserving of any good thing that you have either. You don't deserve your house. You don't deserve your family. You don't deserve to be in America. You don't deserve freedoms. You don't deserve to have anything. And it is of God's goodness and graciousness he's allowed you to have what he's had. It is God's graciousness that he gave you blessings. You don't deserve God's blessings and you didn't earn it. God gave it to you freely. That idea should drive us closer to God and out of a thankful heart say, God, what can I do to serve you? What can I do to do? You understand, why do we serve God? It's not to get something from him. It's because of what he's already done for us. The goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. When we realize that all that God has done for us and we don't deserve it, it should drive us to the place where we see God differently. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. I see God as he truly is. He loves me so much. Why wouldn't I say yes to him? Why wouldn't I obey him? Why wouldn't I serve him? What excuse could I possibly give in the light of the idea that God has forgiven me of so much? Now let me remind you, God can forgive you of everything. There are times that people come up and say, Pastor, you don't know all that I've done. 
I don't need to know what you've done, but I know what a savior he is. He can forgive you of everything. You said, really, of everything? Well, God forgave a murderer and made him the leader of Israel, Moses. God made a murderer and made him king of Israel, David, and called him the man after his own heart. God took a murderer and made him the apostle Paul who wrote 14 books of the word of God. And most of you, unless I'm mistaken, have not committed murder. If you have, I don't really want to know about it. But let me tell you, God can forgive you of everything. It doesn't matter what you've done. He's willing to forgive you of everything. Notice with me, if you don't mind, one last passage. The book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. If you're in the book of Romans now, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Then you'll continue on to the book of Galatians. And then finally to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter number 4. <clears throat> the book of Ephesians chapter number 4. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. Notice with me starting at verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath. And anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. God, out of his mercy, has forgiven us. Or may I say it like this one, has offered forgiveness of this. Remember, he doesn't blanketly give forgiveness, but he offers it to everyone. And they have to choose to give it. The whole purpose of forgiveness is for the purpose of reconciliation. For the purpose of bringing those two people back into one accord. And Bible says that we need to be willing to have forgiveness to someone else. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. You said you, they did the most horrible thing that you could ever imagine. Yes? And so have you. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. If we're going to be Christ-like, we need to be willing to offer forgiveness to anyone. And if they would take it, then we forgive them and have restoration, reconciliation. It doesn't matter what they've done. The problem we have is that we're not willing to offer that forgiveness to other people. And when we're not willing to offer that forgiveness to other people, then emotions get involved. And verse number 31, it starts to list these emotions as they compound on each other. Let all bitterness. Bitterness is a, is a, a slow working poison that destroys its own container. It's like a bad taste in your mouth. If you refuse to offer forgiveness to someone, if you refuse to even give that to them, that willingness to forgive them, then it will turn to bitterness. It will give a bad taste in your mouth. When you hear that person or that situation, it's in your lips. You could taste it. Oh, it's, you don't want to think about it. If it's not taken care of, it will turn to wrath. Wrath carries the idea of heat that's not seen. It's like having a mattress where it fires in the mattress. You can't see the flames, but you could feel it. So when you hear that person or that situation, you could feel the heat rising inside of you. If that's not taken care of, it turns to anger. Anger is, carries the idea that the flames are now seen. That mattress, you could see the mattress on fire. It's the idea now that 
It's now shown on your face when you hear that person's name or the situation. Your whole face contorts. Your countenance change. This is anger. It's carried on you. If that's not taken care of, the emotions continue on. And it turns to clamor. Clamor is an unseemly noise. It's the idea when uh, you tell your wife, are you mad? And she goes, no, I'm not mad. She bangs, throws dishes in there. or The guy slams the door. I'm not mad. But your noise shows that you are. That's clamor. If that's not taken care of, then it will turn to evil speaking. Evil speaking, the word evil carries the idea to do harm to. That you have nothing good to say about that person. You want to hurt them with your words. Whether you want to hurt the reputation. Let me tell you. Don't ever trust that guy. That guy's a... And you hurt their reputation with your words. That's a dangerous emotion. If that's not taken care of. Then it will turn to malice. Malice has the idea to do bodily harm. You said I'll never hurt someone. Yeah but do you ever dream about someone get hit by a bus in your mind? This is that malice. This all comes when we're not willing to offer forgiveness to someone. If they were willing to bring restoration, if they were willing to say, you know what, let's make things right, then you would say, let's fix this. But when you're not willing to forgive someone, that's the whole thing about God, that God is a compassionate God. He's willing to forgive you of anything if you would just come to him. If you would just receive that gift, it's already offered If you're not even willing to offer forgiveness to someone, then you're going to destroy your own container. The Bible says that we're supposed to forgive others, verse number 32, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. How has God, for Christ's sake, forgiven you? He's forgiven you fully, meaning he forgave you for all of it. I've heard some people that said, listen, I'll forgive you for this, but I'll never forgive you for this. No, when God forgave you, he forgave you of all of it. When he forgave you, he forgave you freely. No strings attached. Some people say, I'll forgive you if you do this for me. Well, then that's not forgiveness. It's not free. They they bought you off. It has to be given freely. Something else, it had to be given frankly. That's a nice alliterated word that we want to use here. It means honestly. Aren't you glad when you go to heaven, you say, hey, I get to go to heaven. God says, no, I I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. I was just kidding. God meant it. And we need to mean it. We've all met people said, I forgive you. And we could tell by their countenance, their eyes and their language. They didn't mean it at all. We need to offer it fully, freely, and frankly. Because that's how God, for Christ's sake, has offered forgiveness for us. And it was ours to take. If we would just receive it. We need to be willing to give forgiveness to others. No matter what they have done. If they be willing to receive it. We have to be willing to offer it. To have that for the purpose of reconciliation. Bringing those two parties back together. You see this is all about the compassionate God. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. But he gave it to us anyways. And he's willing to forgive us for anything and everything. Because he's a compassionate, merciful God. The God who's willing to forgive us for everything. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.